I wanted to make that like easy for administrators so that they can use the same techniques in their own environment as the threat actors are doing, but in a controlled and safe manner. And you can test, for instance, that can your current, let's say, security poster, what do you have, can it uh, detect this technique, what I'm, what I'm testing here in my environment? Better to do it before you are being uh, attacked. Mobile workforces, cloud applications, and digitalization are changing every aspect of the modern enterprise. And with radical transformation come new business risks. Welcome to Hybrid Identity Protection, the premier podcast for cybersecurity pros charged with defending hybrid identity environments. Presented by Semperis, the pioneers of identity-driven cyber resilience for the hybrid enterprise. And now, here's your host, 15-time Microsoft MVP and Active Directory security expert, Sean Duby. So Nestoria, your AAD internals toolkit is best known for its red team tools, but its origins are as administration tools. Can you describe the toolkit? How an Azure AD administrator listening to this might be able to use the toolkit to help secure their environment? Oh yeah, sure, sure. So uh, the origins of AAD internals, they are, well, I started to publish that it was back in 2018 and at that time I was uh, partly uh, doing the training also like Office 365 administration and uh, while doing that I noticed some things that are not possible in let's say with Azure AD portal or PowerShell and decided to create a module that could do those things that were not available. And at that time, the first thing was that I created a, a functionality that allows you to list where your services are actually located. And at that time, in Europe, we have this uh, General Data Protecting Regulation, or GDPR. Mm -hmm. Yes. And, and it was a very hot topic to see where my services or data actually is, I created a function that allowed to list where, for instance, your email is located. And that's how it started. And after that, I've been adding there a lot of like uh, red team stuff based on my original research. And that is like, uh, so I'm kind of uh, reverse engineered the protocols that how, for instance, some admin modules or Azure AD portal or other tools like Azure AD Connect, how they are communicating with the backend Azure AD and then try to replicate that. And my kind of goal has been that uh, to find, well, that's actually my job nowadays, to, to find the bugs or vulnerabilities before the bad guys do. And while doing so, it allows like um, uh, me to discuss with Microsoft so that they would fix those things. But any, anyways, some of these things are actually not vulnerabilities. They are just emulating the protocol as they are designed. But if you can emulate that stuff by yourself, that allows you to do some bad things as uh, the bad guys are doing, like threat, threat actors. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to make that like easy for administrators so that they can 
use the same techniques in their own environment as the threat actors are doing, but in a controlled and safe manner. And you can test, for instance, that can your current, let's say, security post, what do you have, can it uh, detect what I'm testing here in my environment? So that's much better to do it before you know you are being uh, attacked. So this one example is use your toolkit and see if your threat detection that you have um, built into Azure AD or added onto Azure AD, if it detects it. Yeah, that's correct. And even more like, well, like the topic of this podcast is the hybrid identity. And if you have hybrid identity, your on-prem environment is always connected to Azure AD. So you are like, for instance, synchronizing information. So you can, with AAD internals, you, if you are able to compromise your Azure AD Connect server, you can export the credentials. Azure AD Connect is using, and if you have like uh, using password hash synchronization, you will now ha- have keys to the kingdom because those credentials have very powerful access to both Azure AD, but also in on-prem AD. And, and again, if you are using password hash synchronization, those credentials can actually get password hashes of any user in your directory. And then you can use those to pass, pass to hash attacks and so on. So if you run this in your own, uh, let's say, Azure AD Connect server with AAD internals, then you can test, as you said, that can your, let's say, if you have virus or whatever XDR solutions in, in your, your in your server, can that detect those attacks? So this will help you harden your Azure AD Connect server out of its, out of its basic defaults? Yes, that's correct. And that's also a good thing to remind everybody who's listening that every component in your on-prem environment that are part of this hybrid solution or configuration, they need to be treated as tier zero servers. So they need to be protected as well as domain controllers. Yes, yes. You protect your Azure protect your Azure AD Connect server as if it were a domain controller. And all oh, by the way, also if you've set up a staging server, yeah, that too. Uh, that also has to be protected. And ADFS servers, and if you have any password authentication agent installed, those two. Essentially, any component that Azure AD trusts. Yes, must be must also, and so that also includes, by the way, things like Ping Federate. If you are using that, yes. And also, if you have, if you are using like uh, the um, SQL Server as a backend for Azure AD Connect data, also that needs to be protected. So, what steps would you recommend for administrators that have just, or whoever has just learned about this AD Internals Toolkit? What steps should they, would you recommend to get them started and some basics that they can do with it? Yeah, well, there's a lot of, let's say, I've been demonstrating this in many conferences during the last couple of years. And I would say that if you go to my blog, uh, there's a site where all my talks are from the last couple of years. That would be a good way to start. Or come to see me in Black Hat or DEFCON this year. So I, I'm going to demonstrate those. But that would be the easiest way. 
I, I don't think there's any, anyone, at least I haven't done anything like a tutorial, how to start. Right. But you do have presentations that you've given. And, and as you say, if you should feel an overpowering urge to roast yourself by coming to Las Vegas in August, you'll see you in person talking about the toolkit. Microsoft just announced just the other day, Alex Weinert announced that they're deploying security defaults to all Microsoft tenants now that don't already have conditional access policies in place, which is which is a big step and potentially a very impactful step for many users. Can you explain sort of where Microsoft is going with this and perhaps what the impact might be to a an unprepared administrator, someone that's not done anything with their Azure AD, they're more Office 365 focused and they're just kind of leaving Azure AD alone? Yes. So first of all, I think this is a good thing. Someone tweeted about this. Uh, the default, by default, MFA is not required and people like to go with what is default. So if you're trying to change default, that's always uh, going to need some resources from you. But now Microsoft is uh, changing the default so that everybody has to do MFA. Everybody. So this makes this single action actually is going to prevent like 99.9% of all phishing attacks, which is a very good thing. And it will potentially affect millions of tenants. And it's such a big service. And all this in a quite short period of time, I would say. But anyway, what this means to normal user and therefore also to normal admin is that when you are, when these are enabled and you are logging in, you have two weeks time to register your MFA methods, whatever your uh, admins have approved. So first thing is for admin is, is of course that you need to decide which MFA methods you allow in your organization and then start to communicating this forthcoming change that okay now after a month we this will be enabled in our tenant and that means that you as a user you need to register your mfa method within 40 day, 14 days after this is enabled well actually first time at the uh, when you log in after when these are enabled. So. This is a big deal because MFA rollout is not necessarily a trivial uh, trivial project, depending on the size of your organization and the geographic location and the means available for the individual users. Quite typically, you are using the authentication app, which is uh, most easy to use, uh, from my opinion. Uh, but that requires that you have a phone and not all employees have phones, for instance. So you need to think that should you provide those to your users or do you need to pay some extra for them to use their own phones, for instance. And these kind of things may be uh, like different laws all around the globe, how, how it goes. That's a great follow-up discussion here, which is, We've seen a lot of discussion around what is the best MFA method to use, what you shouldn't use anymore, what you thought was okay, and then there are these things called push floodings, and you know, and of course, questions about SMS and all of that. I mean, what are what are your thoughts on what organizations uh, should be considering for MFA, their MFA method? 
Well, first of all, any MFA method is better than nothing. So that's the first one. And and you have a couple of options here. So you already mentioned like SMS, which means that when you log in, you enter your username and password, and then you will re receive a one-time passcode to your mobile phone. And then you type that in. Or uh, they can call you and you need to answer the phone and press the hash or pound sign. And then the best option from my point of view, at least, is the authentication app, which means that you have a prompt in your app which asks, uh, that, um, uh, is it, or do you approve this login? I can't remember what you called that. So was it like a prompt flooding, flooding or something? The tactic that some threat actors are using against uh, Authenticator is push flooding where they, they programmatically trigger the, the MFA challenge multiple times in the hopes that the user will get sick of it and just say, okay. That's a topic that has been quite popular, popular for the, let's say, couple of months. But I think from my point of view, there isn't that kind of attack vector at all. It just means that if you are getting uh, constantly those push notifications that someone is trying to log in as you and they have your credentials. So you should report this so and change your password and that will go away. So that's the easiest way. Mm. Uh, but also, I, I don't know, is it still in preview? But at least my organization is using the MFA where instead of just yes or no or approve or, or don't button, uh, the app is providing some context. So it's showing the on your screen that you need to press this number and your authenticator will show you three numbers and you need to choose the correct one. And also it can uh, show you the location in your phone. Like for instance, well, because I'm in Finland, I, I see the Finland there. But if I would see like uh, China there or US or UK, I wouldn't approve that. So that's also one method that kind of helps people to trust to MFA. As you say, that is in preview, but anybody can enable it right now. And that number match with geolocation context is, I think, is super, super valuable because if someone should, if a threat actor should decide to start slamming you with MFA challenges, you can't even, even if you wanted to respond, you only have a, what did you say this, a three or four, you only have a 25% chance of getting getting it right. Or actually, you don't even have that because you don't know the numbers at all. Yeah. So, so you're, you're, you're protecting the user against themselves yeah. with the number matching option. Yes, and besides the MFA, we also have this strong authentication, and you can use like those FIDO keys for that, which means that you need to have some physical piece of uh, hardware. So it's a USB stick usually that you, instead of typing in your username and password, well, not typing your password, you are just sticking that to your computer and then they usually light up a little light and you need to touch that and then you are automatically locked in. That prevents the phishing totally. It is an interesting discussion around, and so first off, yes, as you say, and I'm glad you said that first, 
any MFA is better than no MFA. So there's lots of talk about how people should move away from using SMS because you can do SIM swapping and there are other attacks associated with it. But it is way, way, way better than none at all. Yes. So if you have to start, start with that or start with a phone call, which, as you say, is actually quite easy. You, you get a phone call. You don't even have to listen to it. You answer it and you press pound. I would say that the phone one is the most insecure because usually you can answer the phones even when they are locked. Mm. But you can't read email or you can't do the MMA with the app if the phone is locked. Right. I know Microsoft would like to discourage that because it's the most expensive for them to make a phone call to you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so we have phone call, we have SMS, we have authenticator with push. There's also authenticator with uh, passcode with OTP where you Correct. will get a, a prompt and it asks you to do that. Um, one one advantage in that uh, that people tend to not think about until it's too late is if they travel a lot and they're logged in, in on an airplane or someplace with limited internet, internet connectivity, uh, your phone has to also have internet connectivity to answer an MFA challenge. Otherwise, you won't be able to get in. Yes, correct. Uh, but the OTP, as you said, that works like offline. Well, great. Thank you very much. I appreciate the insight and the story. And I think that the basic gaps that you talked about are everybody listening should go check out their Azure AD tenant to make sure that they can restrict that and use the AD internals toolkit. Now, you mentioned uh, because it does contain red team tools as well, that you shouldn't just go off and run this without talking to your SOC first. Is that right? Oh, yes. And don't run it in your production servers if, if unless you have to, because there are, as, as you mentioned, there are some red team uh, tools also, which are made for attacking. And of course, that's what you are testing. But anyways, so your XDR may may like react to that. You don't want to be getting phone calls from your sock. Yeah, you don't. <laughs> well, thank you very much, Nestori. I... Oh, thanks for having me. It wasn't fun. Thanks for joining us on the Hybrid Identity Protection Podcast with Sean Doobie. Be sure to subscribe at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen. Visit hipconf.com, that's H-I-P-C-O-N-F.com to learn about upcoming events, view expert presentations, and take part in the conversation.